Well, names really matter, don't they? They really matter. Um, you know instinctively that your name matters, don't you? It's, it's why you cringe a little bit on the inside when you get a cold call and they get your name a bit wrong. It's why it, it hurts, doesn't it, when somebody you love but whose memory is fading struggles to recall your name. It's why it gets just that bit awkward when you've met the person enough times for it not to be okay to ask them what their name is anymore. And you have this sort of charade that you go around and never actually find out their name and end up nudging your mate next to you and go, oh, remind me what their name is. And it's why it feels good, doesn't it? When somebody remembers your name who you didn't expect to, or you didn't even realize knew your name. Names matter. A name is more than something that just marks us out as as different to other people from the next person. I hope this morning that you come knowing that you are so much more than your tax code, your NHS number, and your national insurance number. Your name communicates something of who you are. So if we hear the name Fluffy, we kind of assume that is not going to be a person but a rabbit. Hamish is probably going to speak with a Scottish accent. Sarah Blizzard was always going to be the weather presenter on East Midlands today. And if your last name is Devas, well, you'll be a close relative of mine and have absolutely no idea where the name comes from. Well, last Sunday in Exodus, at the end of Exodus chapter, uh, with the, sorry, the first two chapters of Exodus, we, we encountered a name that becomes famous throughout the Bible. Moses. What does Moses mean? What does the name Moses mean? Well, in Exodus chapter 2 verse 10, uh, we're told that Moses sounds like the Hebrew for draw out because Moses, remember in the basket, was as a baby was drawn out by Pharaoh's daughter out of the river Nile, out of the place where all the other Hebrew baby boys were being drowned. You see, life for God's people was far from promising. They were slaves in Egypt, uh, facing genocide. Uh, well, what about God's covenant promise? Those promises he made with uh, their, their forefathers, with Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, you know, that, that they would be a great nation, that they would have a land, and that through them God's blessing would reach out, stretch out into every corner of the world. How's that going to work out? How is God's promise going to be lived out in the least promising situation. How? Through Moses. Moses, who was drawn out of the water as a baby, just as God's people in the days to come would be drawn out of slavery in Egypt, through water, through the Red Sea. Moses, who, didn't he, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, so he struck him down. And it ended up with him fleeing from Pharaoh. Just as we discover God sees the injustice and oppression of his people. And that he strikes down Egyptians. And God's people flee from Pharaoh. And in the very last uh, verses of chapter 2, it was as if the, the curtain was pulled back a little bit for us. For us to see how God was at work. We saw that God heard. God was keeping his covenant. He was keeping his promise. 
He saw. He was concerned. He was filled with compassion. That's the kind of God we worship. We've had the glimpse behind the curtains. This morning we've already heard Moses encounters the living God for himself and makes a very similar discovery as God tells Moses what his name is. I am who I am. And to steal somebody else's phrase, what we discover in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4 is the God who promises to be with us is the God who is also the God who's above us. The God who's with us is the God who is above us. God first, uh, Moses first encounters the God who is with us. And there's a strange sight, isn't there, that, that grabs Moses' attention. I mean, just imagine walking home from church today and you suddenly notice the hedges on fire. That's going to grab your attention, right? But for Moses, that was fairly ordinary. He lived in the desert. Things probably spontaneously combust all the time in that kind of heat, I guess. What is it that grabs his attention? It's the fact that the bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. It's not being consumed. Why is that the case? Because God's making himself known. Look at verse 2. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. The angel of the Lord calls out to Moses, and in uh, verse 4, we discover that this messenger, this angel of the Lord, is actually God himself. And so Moses' sandals are quick to come off. And we find him hiding his face. And we're left with a question, hold on, is it the messenger of God or God himself? How can the messenger of God be God? What if it's the word of God? What if it's the eternal son of God who always communicates God to his people, who one day was born as one of us, made man and given the name Jesus? The angel of the Lord says to to Moses in verse 7, what we already heard last week, that God has seen the misery of his people. He has heard their cries. He is, he is concerned about their suffering. And he goes on, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You can imagine Moses going, yes, this is, this is what I longed for 40 years ago. On that day when he, he, he took the Egyptian and killed him to try and start a rescue of God's people. He spent 40 years looking after sheep, nothing happening. And now God is saying, I have come down to rescue. Brilliant. Moses' heart is beating faster. And just imagine Moses' surprise when verse 10, God says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Last time it hadn't exactly gone well for Moses. He'd run away. He'd spent the last 40 years in the wilderness. God is telling him to return to a country where he's a wanted man, a wanted criminal, to persuade the most powerful man in history to let his slaves go. Anyone up for that? Imagine in your retirement being told that you need to rip up all your plans because actually your job is to go and tell Vladimir Putin what to do. Any volunteers? No. And so, of course, the next verse, verse 11, begins with a three-letter word. But, but, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You know, Moses isn't this risk-taking, world-changing young man that he used to be. He was in his 80s now. His knees probably creaked 
and he'd been humbled so much. The last 40 years was spent looking after somebody else's sheep. How does God respond? He responds with five very precious words for Moses. But they're precious words for God's people down throughout history. They're precious words for us at this morning. Verse 12, five precious words. I will be with you. In other words, Moses, God says, uh, knowing that many other people down through history would hear these. In other words, Moses, it's not about who you are. It's about who I am. And I will be with you. And so we skip ahead, uh, just with me a little bit, to chapter 3, verse 19. That's how God says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Verse 20, So I, this is God speaking, I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. What is it that makes Moses strong in this situation, in this task? What makes any of us who belong to God uh, through Jesus, strong for anything, that's not the strength of our own arm. In fact, when we're trying to flex our muscles, instead our eyes are drawn to the fingers on our hands and we're reminded of the God who says, I will be with you. When we think we're strong, we're not. We need to know God with us. It probably comes as absolutely no surprise then, as many hundreds of years later we encounter Another man feeling incredibly weak in his situation. Life had got out of control. His wife is pregnant, but not by him. His reputation is in tatters. His name is Joseph. And he's been told to give this baby the name Jesus. And the angel says to him, he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The one who went to the cross. The one who became weak, that we might become Strong. This is an encouragement for you. If you're here this morning and you're feeling weak or weary. It's an encouragement for those who haven't made it here. So they might need to hear it from you. Because life's too much for them. If illness or struggle, your age, your anxiety makes it feel like you can't be part of the action or that you're on the sidelines, you have no part to play. Can I say to you, the encouragement is you are exactly where God's action takes place. It's those of us who feel like we've got things together, that we're comfortable and fairly trouble-free who are put on the sidelines when it comes to our Lord. It's as you trust Jesus, know the Holy Spirit in you, that God is and will be at work in your life in all the things that are going on. And often it might be by his hidden hand, just as God's people in Egypt had experienced up to this point. God is and will be using you as a blessing to other people, particularly as you make Jesus known. God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. I will be with you. The God who is with us is at the same time the God who is above us. The God who is above us. You can imagine Moses' train of thought. Well, that's, is this all okay for me? I've had this amazing encounter, Lord, with you in the fire. What about God's people when I go and see them? What are they going to make of it? And so he asks, verse 13, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? And what shall I tell them? I am who I am, God replied. 
names matter. This name really matters. This is a declaration that that God cannot be compared to anything or anyone else. He is who he is. He will be who he will be. Just watch and see. Read through Exodus. See frogs and flies and firstborn sons and Pharaoh who is no more. This is the God who, when Moses at the start of chapter 4 questions whether the Israelites believe him, makes Moses' walking stick turn into a snake. Makes Moses' hand, when he puts it in his jacket, come out leprous, and when he puts it back in, it's healed. He's the one who says, take a bit of the river Nile, pour it out, and I'll turn it to blood. This is the God who, when Moses, in chapter 4, verse 10, says, I'm not very good with words, God replies, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. This is the God who when Moses, very bluntly, in chapter 4, verse 13, just turns around and says, please send someone else. He's already got Moses' brother Aaron walking towards him. This is the God who is above us. They know this is not distant from us. God gives Moses his personal name. This is the God who invites people to call him Lord. Look back at Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. It says, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, which is there in, in, in sort of small capitals, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. The Lord is God's personal name. If you've ever heard God referred to as Jehovah or Yahweh, this is where it comes from. And there's a long story that involves a reverence for God's name, um, vowels and translation that means we have a few different names. And the way it's worked out, it means in our Bibles we have Lord written with small capital letters. It's God's personal name. And if you were to open a a book of names and, and find Lord, what does Lord mean? It means I am. I am who I am. This is the God who is above us. And the God above us invites us to know him. And it just might help us understand one of the strangest bits of the Bible that we find towards the end of Exodus chapter 4. We didn't hear it read, but it's there. Exodus chapter 4, verse 24. Um, Moses is on his way to Egypt. For this showdown with Pharaoh, he's, God's got through his excuses. Moses is gone. What happens at a lodging place? On the way, the Lord met Moses. Well, sounds good so far, right? And was about to kill him. What? Was about to kill him. Yeah, it does say that. But Zipporah, his wife, took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone at that time. She said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Yeah, I definitely see some raised eyebrows at this point. What is going on? Why would God be about to wipe out the man he's raised up to rescue his people? Turns out we're probably asking the wrong question. Because this event was asking Moses a question. And asks, in turn, us a question. About what in our lives are we holding back? from the God who's above us. 
You see, Moses has taken God very seriously, but only up to a point. Moses is on his way to Egypt, just as God had commanded. And he's going there with his wife and his son. And when it came to his son, Moses had not done what God had commanded. He was not circumcised. Circumcision was, was the sign for God's people at this time. That they were part of God's promise to Abraham of being that his people. There'd be a nation, the land, the blessing. If you like, a cut was made on the body as a reminder that they were not cut off from God. And through the story of Exodus, we're going to hear how God's people being marked out as belonging to him is a major part of the storyline. A story that ultimately involves firstborn sons and God's people being marked out by blood. Now, as followers of Jesus, we're God's people. And we're marked out by blood. Not blood through circumcision, not, not the Lamb's blood that we read of in, in, in Exodus chapter 12 that's, that's put on the doorframe, but the blood that is shed by Jesus on the cross that spares us. The God above us is the God who gave his life for us in Jesus. Spilt his blood that we might be spared God's judgment. So we come this morning to the communion table to receive bread and wine with confidence. Knowing this is what gives us energy and urgency to live the life that Jesus invites us to. A life of freedom. Knowing it comes at a cost. The God who is above us held nothing back to rescue us so that he might be the God who's with us. What are we holding back from him? God says, I am who I am. I am the Lord. This is my name forever. The name you should call me from generation to generation. The God who is above us is the God who is with us. The God who is with us is the God who is above us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we don't have to invent who you are. We don't have to imagine what you are like. Because you have shown us. Thank you that you are the holy God. You are the God who cannot be compared to anyone or anything else. You are the God who created us. You are the God who, who gave us our mouths. You are the God who directs history. And yet you are the God who... And Jesus gave up everything that we might be able to know you truly and fully and personally. And that even now, by your spirit, we might know. In our weariness, in our weakness, in our struggles, in the, the times when we think we have no part to play. That you are the God who is with us. And that is what gives us strength. And so I pray uh, this morning, strengthen each one of us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,